Thank you, worship team. Boy, I always enjoy being in the presence of God. Well, good to have you here on this Palm Sunday. If you're up on Facebook, you saw a little note I put up there. We're giving the uh, series we're on just a, a little break while we look at some things that deal with the resurrection and the resurrection week. We're going to take a look at a number of different scriptures about a, a town. How many people saw the little Facebook question I put up? Anybody? A couple of people saw it. All right. Anybody? If you, if you had an answer, we're going to get into what town that was. But there was actually a town that Jesus moved into and set up his house there. We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 4 to start. Matthew chapter 4. And it looks like something is on the blink with our projector. Um, I guess it's overheating or something like that. Yeah. I think that's what red lights meant. <laughs> but they were... They worked on it all they could to get it going, I'm sure. So you got to do this the old-fashioned way. So before we get started on this, how many people have an old-fashioned way in which that you can read the Scriptures along since you can't do it up on the screen? You did, how many people brought a Bible with you today? All right, you all are covered. How many people have a Bible app on your phone that you can use? All right, that's good. And now, anybody not covered in those two groups? You don't have a Bible, you don't have a Bible app? Anybody at all? All right, if you're too embarrassed, raise your hand. And you, but you need something, go into the back there. Ushers have some Bibles for you that you can use, and we'd, uh, we'd be happy for you to, to have those. So uh, we'll go back to the old-fashioned way, the way we used to do things, and see how that works for us. How many of you heard the story? Well, this is a football story. Uh, it doesn't need to be a football story. I'm just taking something that happened in this week, and I was listening to this particular thing this week. There was a particular incident, and um, I don't usually have sports talk radio on because they bore me. They're just complainers. They just, you know, complain about this, that, and the other thing. But sometimes, if I have the radio on when I'm coming home from church one night, uh, and I have the, the Sixers game, because I don't know about you, but listening to the Sixers on the radio is kind of fun for me. I don't get them on TV, so that's as close as I can get to, uh, to doing that, is having them on, on that. So if I turn it off, turn the car off at nighttime, and they were on, if I turn it back on sometime in the next day, uh, the sports talk radio is still on. And so they were talking about something that I did not know occurred, and apparently an eagle had been involved in an altercation. How many are aware of that? A person's name was Michael Bennett. I don't know Michael Bennett. Don't come up and tell me whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know him. Bruce and I had a conversation after the trade was made, and I told him, I don't know him. Bruce was pretty high on him. He's a pretty good player. We were having a good good time going back and forth. I had heard some things about some character issues, locker room issues, but I don't know the guy. I am not sure where the... I just felt this whole thing down here move, so try and move it to a different spot. See, that helps us out. But anyway, this thing came on, and they were talking about this, and I had the police guy on there. He was talking about this, and I says, man, I didn't say who it was. So I'm just listening to this, and I'm getting the, the report, and it sounds like somebody in a sports team, I don't know who, was involved in a really bad incident. I mean, it's as serious as can be. And so um, they, didn't, they didn't say who it was. I listened a little bit longer trying to find out, well, who was it? What team are they on? What's going on with this? So finally it comes over that it's uh, Michael Bennett's down in Houston. I said, what in the world was he doing down in Houston this week? That's the thought that came to my mind. I don't know anything moved on that one. I can't tell you what's going on. I, think, I think it's up here. Uh, if Keith is still around, see if we still have that backup wire. We had a backup wire. Oh, there he is. All right. Remember that uh, backup wire we got? All right. Good. I have a memory of it. He's going to have a better memory of it than I am. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just see if we can get that in there. And if, if so, I'll switch this microphone for a handheld while you um, make, the, make the change if you like. 
So anyway, I'm listening to this thing. I thought he did, did something happened down in Houston. I'm trying to figure out why is Michael Bennett down in Houston this week? What in the world is going on down in Houston? And he's down there. Well, I, I didn't find out for a couple of days later. It wasn't last week. It was a year ago. Over a year ago, this incident happened. But they're talking like it, like it just had happened. How many heard that? And did anybody else have that same reaction? Like, when did this just happen? And then find out it was a year, over a year ago that this thing had occurred. But now all of a sudden, it's front page news, and they're crucifying this guy. You know, he pushed and knocked over a poor 66-year-old woman in a wheelchair. I mean, that'll get anybody mad, won't it? And uh, I don't know what to make of this thing, because I've told you before, and I, I practice what I preach in this one. You know, we, we're not always uh, able to practice everything that we preach, but <laughs> this is one thing I do practice. If the news media tells me something, I don't believe it. That's just how I go. If they say something on the news, on the radio, as soon as they say it, my instant response is, I don't believe that. That's just my response to it. I, and I, that was my response to this. Well, I don't believe that exactly happened the way that they're saying. And I just kind of went on. I turned the thing off and I went on to my uh, classical music station because they don't play any news. There is no news. There is no reports of anything. It's just music. Now, you all don't like classical music. That's fine. I do. And so I put that on and I didn't, I didn't pay any more attention to it. So it wasn't until a couple of days later I found out that this had gone on. And uh, how many saw the follow-up story that Michael Bennett, you know, Michael Bennett has a sister? How many do not know that Michael Bennett has a sister? All right, Michael Bennett has a sister. And apparently she was at the same event he was at. And she had her videotape rolling. <laughs> so she had the videotape rolling before, apparently drawing, and then after. Well, she had put up on, on Facebook, and somebody found it, the before and after, but not the drawing. But she put up a little note on there that uh, we're ready to make this. Thanks, guys. So she apparently had the videotape of the whole thing. She put up a little note that says, it's all a lie. I have the videotape of the entire thing. Now, I don't know if she does yet. She's not allowed to share it because of the legal implications. And the lawyers have said, no, don't put anything out there about it. So the before and the after is on there, but not the drawing. So we'll have to wait a little while to find out what happened during the, during the whole thing. But, but the, on the after, what you'll see is Michael Bennett is going out on the field and no one is stopping him. And no one is chasing after him. And everything seems to be very normal. He and a whole bunch of other people are going out in the field. So, how many of you who heard the story kind of formed an opinion about Michael Bennett? Don't raise your hand. Now, again, I don't know Michael Bennett from anybody. I'm not a fan of the Seattle Seahawks, the team that he played on. I really don't watch any other team outside of the Philadelphia Eagles. I watch them, the rest of the teams. I don't really care what happens to them. If the team, if a player goes from there to our team, then I find out about the guy. But otherwise, I just really don't uh, tune into it a whole lot. So I don't know the guy, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, good player or bad player. I don't know. But I do know something about the media. They are a bad guy. Every single one of them. They're all bad. So I just don't listen to them. But anyway, this was going on. And you were given all this information. And this police chief is making this thing like this is huge. Like they couldn't find him. I heard that. Well, they couldn't find him. What do you mean you can't find an NFL player? He was on the field on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Almost every single Sunday or 4 o'clock, whatever time they play. He's on the field. He's got his number. He's got his name on the back. 
you know where the guy is. For an entire year, he played an entire season and nobody went after him. Then they get on there and say we couldn't find him. We, we, we have an, uh, an arrest warrant out for him because we don't know where he is. Make it out like he's fleeing. Now that's our news media. And before you even get to find out who this guy is, you can form a bad opinion about him. I began to ponder this and think on this thing. And, you know, every whenever I look at real life things that are going on, I always look at from the Word of God. What's this tell me about the Word of God? Now, see, this is one thing about news media people. They're, it seems like their job is to get you to believe something false and something that is wrong. I still don't know whether Mike, Michael Bennett pushed somebody 66 years old in a wheelchair or not. I kind of feel, find it hard to believe that anybody would push somebody. And if they're in a wheelchair, why do you have to push them out of the way? Just walk around. I mean, just walk around. That's it. They can't chase you. I, I don't understand why that's a problem. <laughs> But anyway, that's what we did. I want you to turn over here. We're going to take a look. Keep that in mind. Keep that story in mind. And again, if it was, if we went over this next week, we probably would have used a different story. And if you went over it the week after that, probably we used a different story. Because every single week this is going on with people. And we'll show you some other, some other cases where this kind of thing is going on. But Matthew chapter 4, take a look at this. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. Now what was in Nazareth? Mom and dad. Mom and dad had a house in Nazareth. So he left Nazareth, which means what? He moved out. (laughs) He moved out. He made the move. He found an apartment. He found a house. I don't know which one he found, but he found something. It doesn't tell us whether it's an apartment, a room, a house. It just says he dwelt. That means he made his home. Made his home in Capernaum. How many of you knew Jesus moved out? Moved out. And he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. How many of you ever wanted to move out and go live by a lake? <laughs> Jesus did it. He moved out and went and lived by a lake. I wonder if he had a shorefront property. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But anyway, that's what he did. He moved out. That's not a real big deal in what we're looking at today. But verse 14 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So I guess Jesus looked it up and said, hey, I'm not supposed to be from that. I'm supposed to come from the sea. I'm going to move over here. And so he moved over there. Because the way it's actually worded is that it might be fulfilled for the purpose of fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet said. So he knew what the prophet said about him. So here's one he could help do. Now, he couldn't help all the prophecies that were said. In fact, there's only a handful that he could have had any impact on at all. This was one of them. And so he, he went where, where it was said. Now, it may be that, you know, when they're writing the scriptures up there, Jesus is there. Understand, Jesus is up there with the Holy Spirit who's inspiring scripture. And then the Holy Spirit may have turned to Jesus as he's inspiring the prophet to write this. Uh, Jesus, where do you want to live? You know what? I, I have my sights set on this house right over here by the lake. Very good. We'll put that right in there. And they wrote it right in <laughs> I don't know if they didn't do it that way, but uh, let's keep going. We haven't got to, to anything yet. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, 
Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, it might be that the thing that drew him to this area is not the lake itself, but the people who fished on the lake, because he said, that Peter guy, he's going to be good for me. James and John, I want to to recruit them, so it's going to be good that I live near them. So he actually lived near these guys, moved in, and he's walking on by the sea. And so he, uh, he sees Peter, sees Andrew. They were fishing. Verse um, 21 of uh, Mark. This is actually the same part of the story. I'm just jumping over to Mark because Mark picks up something that happened after this. So after he picked his disciples, or he called them, and the rest of the chapter goes on, he picks some other ones too. We're just not reading all that. But I just want to get you to feel where we're at with this. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. Now they means those disciples he just called. So Jesus and the disciples he just called, I don't know if he's got all 12 of them yet, but he's got a bunch of them. And they go into the synagogue. Where's the synagogue? Capernaum. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. So it's the synagogue of Capernaum, which is where he lived. Not his hometown necessarily, but the town that he moved into. This is where he's at. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she served them. So as he comes out of the synagogue, he's, he, he meets up with a demon-possessed person, casts out the demon, finds a, over there, you know, how many people go someplace after church on Sunday and have dinner? Maybe you go to a restaurant, maybe you go to somebody's home. We used to always do this growing up. After we um, church on Sunday, we all get together and had family meal. And so we'd all sit around the table, and we even brought out the good china a lot of times. And we'd have a family, family meal. And that was Sunday. And so I guess that's something like we're doing here. And so they're going over to the uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. He probably says, hey, let's go over to my mother-in-law's house. She'll cook for us. And they get over there and she's got a fever. Nobody wants to cook when they have a fever. Apparently hers is pretty severe. So Jesus laid hands on her. She gets healed. Now you can get up and cook for us. <laughs> so she did. And at evening... When the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. At what door? Well, I assume the mother-in-law's door. Because that's where they just were at. So Jesus moves into the city where apparently Peter's mother-in-law makes residence. That kind of says maybe Peter even lives there too. 
So he lives, he, he moves in there and he goes over to this house. They have dinner and they come out in the entire city. It says the whole city. That means everybody. Now understand in this, this, during this time, you didn't have video games to go home and play. You didn't have TV to go home and watch. There weren't a whole lot of things going on in town. So when something happened, everybody went to it. And when you have somebody who's casting out demons and healing people with fevers, the entire city said, let's go. I know somebody who's sick. And they bring everybody in the city who is sick and demon-possessed, sick or demon-possessed, and brings them to the mother-in-law's door. Now, how would you like to have a dinner guest who, because they are there, every sick and every demon-possessed person shows up at your door? Isn't that cool? I mean, they are right outside the door. And so Jesus comes out. And what's he do? Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Well, we just had this fantastic meeting. People getting healed. People getting demons cast out. Changes are being made. And everybody's looking. He says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. Now, if you ever wonder why Jesus keeps coming back to Capernaum, we never hear that he gives up his place. He may have, but I don't know. As far as we know, he uh, he stayed there. But maybe he did. He says, you know, the Son of Man doesn't have any place to lay his head. Maybe by that point, he had given it up. Don't know. But at this point, he's got a, got a place. Now, look over here in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum because he goes away for a little while, and then he comes back. He goes out to um, heal, um, heal people and cast out demons and teach them in other places. And then he comes back and returns to Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, nor even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let the bed down on which the paralytic, paralytic lied. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, or but immediately. When Jesus received in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, we all know the story of the paralytic led down through the roof. How many of you registered that this was at Capernaum? This is one of those one of those things that was done in this city. So Jesus, the spirit of God is present to heal all. But only one gets healed. We've come in over that part of it before. Only one got healed. But we're seeing every time he shows up at Capernaum, we're getting a large crowd. We have a large crowd that shows up. And he preaches. 
He casts out demons. He heals the sick. They have some good meetings here in Capernaum. Look at John chapter 2. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the pastor of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. He, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So he goes down to Capernaum with his relatives, family. He stays there for a couple days, not too many. And then he leaves from there to go to Jerusalem. And he has the incident that we have with him turning over the money changers and, and the tables and all that. That comes right after he's in Capernaum. So he leaves Capernaum and goes up. So, you know, it's not very far. We don't have to go that far for this to, for this to occur. One more verse here. John chapter 4. Verse 46, so Jesus came to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick. Where? At Capernaum. The nobleman's son, the guy who made the journey to Jesus. Where did he come from? He came from Capernaum. The place where all these miracles were done. He came from there. He said, I've seen Jesus. He's healed all these people of all these things. So apparently this son was not sick when Jesus was there but became sick. And then the man, I know that Jesus can do that. I've been in the town. And Jesus has done all these things. Now he's in the town. He is a, he apparently lives in Capernaum. Who else lived in Capernaum? Jesus did. Who else lived in Capernaum? Peter's mother-in-law did. Which meant his wife spent some time there and possibly even Peter himself lives there. Now these are small towns. You know what happens in small towns? Everybody knows each other. So when you think of it this way, when we think of the nobleman, he comes to Jesus, says, come, heal my daughter. Jesus says, uh, no. <laughs> and so he doesn't go. But what happens instead is that Jesus says, go your way, your son lives. And so he has to go. What do you think the odds are that this is not the first time these two have met? What do you want to bet that this man has been to one of Jesus' meetings before and maybe even brought up somebody else to be healed or maybe was healed himself? That there has been some kind of interaction. I don't know what that was because we don't know. We weren't told. We're painting a picture here for you of Capernaum because I want you to understand what's happening here in Capernaum. What's going on here? So let's go on. That's some of the healing and miracles that have gone on. Here's another story you're familiar with. Now, when Jesus, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, now he's inside, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at, the, at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I said, this one go. And he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say, say to you, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out in outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, 
so let it be done for you. And a servant was healed that same hour. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, this is when he's approached. How many of you knew this story took place in the region of Capernaum? Isn't that kind of amazing? That would seem, unless he's just from outside and Jesus made a trip outside the city, it would seem that the man also, the centurion, came from Capernaum as well. I guess there's a chance maybe he was in Jerusalem and sent to Capernaum to get him. But as soon as he enters the city is when he's approached. It would seem like that they were already inside. But that's an assumption on my part. But he said, Assuredly, I, have not, I, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And he said, People will come from all over and they will talk about the faith of this man. And, and what area is he from? Capernaum. Verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laying sick with fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her. She arose and served them. Verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. So just a little bit different parts on this story. I want you to see this, that after all that happened with the centurion, he's still in Capernaum. And then he saw all these multitudes coming. Great multitudes came about him. And he said, let's go to the other side. On the way out of town. On the way out of town. How many of you remember the story of when the storm came upon the boat and the disciples were bailing out the water? And they finally got tired of bailing out the water. And they went down and they woke Jesus up. Master, don't you care that we are perishing? Guess what? That was on their way out of Capernaum. Right after this story, it happens. They leave Capernaum. All those things that happened there in Capernaum. And the storm comes. Of course, the demoniac is waiting for him on the other side. After they get done that, then they come back over. In John chapter 6, verse 16, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. And the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. Now this is a couple of chapters later. This is not immediately after. And when... And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. And he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So when they were, let's go back, when evening came, his disciples went to, down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. They are in a boat on their way over to this town of Capernaum. On the way, Jesus had sent them on. And he walked on the water. This is the time when he walked on the water. And he catches up to the boat. And when he gets on the boat, the boat is automatically on the other side. In Capernaum. Now watch what happens here. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one in which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples... But his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum and seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. 
Now watch this. <laughs> what did they ask Jesus? How or when did you get here? Because they want to know how we did it. Because the whole thing here is putting it together. We saw the disciples get in the boat. We saw Jesus stay over here. We didn't see any other boats leave. But now Jesus is on the other side. So they want to say, how did you get here? They want to, they want to get to that eventually. But their question, first question is, well, when did you come? If he says, I arrived with my disciples, well, we know you didn't get in the boat with your disciples. And then they might start asking him other things. But look at this. They ask, when did you come here? What is Jesus' answer? Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Does he answer the question? Not even close. He completely avoids it. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question and you did not want to answer it? How about the, the boss? How come you're late? I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> and so you might ask, you know, say something else. Boy, isn't it a nice day today? <laughs> you want to try and get onto something else. Just because people ask you a question does not mean they deserve the answer. Keep that in mind, folks. Just because people can ask you a question doesn't mean you have to answer them. Well, how can you apply that? How about if somebody comes up to you and they say to you, what do you think about gay marriage? What's your opinion on abortion? How do you like our president? And you know the question is just they're baiting you. They kind of know how you're going to answer the question. And they're just, just because they asked you a question does not mean you need to answer it. You don't have to answer at all. Especially for people who don't want knowledge. They want to pick on you. You don't have to give them any, any food for that. Jesus didn't do it. He's our example, isn't he? So just because somebody comes up to you and says, what do you think about gay marriage? Now, if you feel that God is telling you to answer the question, answer it. I mean, I know none of you are afraid of your answer. Don't be afraid of your answer. But just because somebody asked the question doesn't mean you have to answer it. What do you think about gun rights? Sometimes I just want to aggravate people. I think everybody should be ordered to have a gun. I think everybody should be made to own a gun. I think they should carry it with them every single day and they should always have it in their pocket. That's what I think. <laughs> yes, you'll get some responses from that, won't you? Absolutely. There'll be a lot less crime. I mean, if everybody was armed with a gun, it would change people's opinion about what they wanted to do with somebody they just meet on the, on the street anyway. <laughs> just because somebody asks you a question, folks, doesn't mean you have to answer it. You can, but you don't have to. And you're not lying by not answering it. Don't give them a false answer. See, Jesus did not give them a false answer. He just didn't answer it. Yeah, I know why you guys want to find me. Because you ate. You want to eat again. It's not going to happen. I fed you once. I'm not feeding you now. <laughs> Go find your own food. 
Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? All right, I don't need to go on. You all know how Jesus received that one, didn't you? Because <laughs> we know how Jesus received everybody who, who went in that direction. And this isn't, uh, that isn't handled so good. What town was this in? Capernaum. The place where mass healings, demons cast out. Great things being done. Teaching like they had never heard. And Jesus came and lived there with them. Called his disciples. When he comes around with his disciples, they know most of them. Yeah, I know, I know him. I know him. Grew up with him. They know him. Matthew 11, verse 23. While you're turning there, I'm not going to read this one. But here's something else that happened in Capernaum. In John chapter 6, verse 59 through 64. That's just the, the heart of it. He gives the famous sermon. How do you remember the sermon? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Guess where that was? At Capernaum. What happened to all the people when they heard that message? They left so that Jesus turned to his disciples and said, you guys going to go too? And they said, who else has the words of life? And they stayed. All right, Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. And you who? Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. We did all those other verses of scriptures so that we can come down to this one and you would have some context for it. Because it's important that we see the context of it. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. Now, if God is pronouncing judgment on them, they're going to be brought down to Hades. Who exalted them? It wasn't God, was it? It would have been themselves. They exalted themselves. And God says, I'm going to bring you down. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Remember, that's the city which the angels went in and all the men wanted to do things with the, with the men angels. And they put blindness on them and it just was not a good scene. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now watch this that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Who's he speaking to? Capernaum. He calls Capernaum exalted. They've exalted themselves. And I said, and he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the what? 
Now, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you might need to look up in a dictionary to understand what prudent means? Well, just to make sure, I looked it up. And one of the definitions is all-knowing. Wise and all-knowing. One of the words they put for this is omniscient. How many have ever met people who know it all? How many of you work with people who know it all? They have all wisdom. They know it all. He says this, speaking about Capernaum, who is exalted. He says, Father, I got to read this. I want to see this. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. <laughs> Look at this. God, I am so thankful that you do not show these things to these wise and all-knowing people. Wow. He's saying thank you. Thank you for doing that. These are the people in Capernaum. These are Jewish people. These are people who know about God. These are people who have received miracles. They have received teaching. They've had demons cast out of the people in their city. They have watched these things in the services. They have flocked to the meetings. They've been around when Jesus walked on water. They saw the miracle of him getting from one side to another without a boat. And he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to who? Babes. Now, is Jesus one of those that has received the revelation? Isn't Jesus one of those who's received revelation? Well, if he says, I thank you that you haven't shown these things to these people, that means what? He sees them. So what category is Jesus? In the wise and all-knowing? Or in the babes? He's only giving you two categories. You can't make up a third one. You're either in the wise and the prudent, or you're in the babes. I mean, babes are great. You go out to a little one and you tell them something. And what do they do? Really? Wow. I mean, they're just, they just, they love the stories. You can just tell them stories. They love to hear it. But you tell it to other people. They all, they already know it all. They know what's happened. I already listened to the news. I've been informed. And they form their opinions. And they have become wise and all-knowing. Luckily, it goes on. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me. <laughs> all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So he, again, he has the two categories. Now understand there's two categories. You are either in the wise and the prudent, or you in the babes. We're not talking good looking people here, we're talking young people. Alright, just don't get that confused. 
You are either in the wise and prudent or you're in the innocent, the young and the innocent who just receive whatever it is that is that is told them. But only certain people. You know, if you go up to your little little baby and you say them something, you're the mom and you're the dad, you're, you're somehow a relative, and you speak something to them, they receive it, don't they? Now, if somebody else comes up to them, what do they do? Who is this person? Why are they talking to me? They're not, uh, they're not quite the same way, are they? Just because they say something, they may even, may even come to you. Daddy, is that true? Because they want to hear it from you. Because you see, as babes, they receive whatever a trusted person speaks to them. They receive it. Because you are a trusted person. So basically it's this. Get to a place where you have a trusting relationship with God. And whatever He speaks to you, believe it. Now the wise and prudent that are in this category, the Father may be speaking some things, but what do they do? They put up walls. Let's go back over what's happened in Capernaum. When Jesus had the paralytic lowered down in front of Him, and He says, your sins are forgiven, what happened to the people in the room? Who is this man that He forgives sins? And Jesus had to address it, didn't He? Why? Because they identified themselves as being in the category of wise and prudent. Not in the category of babes. The people who crucified Jesus, the people who at the trial said, crucify him, crucify him. Are they in the wise and the prudent? Or are they in the babes category? They're in the wise and the prudent, aren't they? We already know. We already know. I already know this person is guilty because I, I saw the news report. I heard what they did and they're guilty. Haven't heard any testimony, haven't seen any evidence, but you know they're guilty because you become wise and prudent. This is one reason why, one of the many reasons I tell you, don't let the news people in your house because what they do is they train you to become wise and prudent. You look at any person who feeds off the news on a regular day and if you go and try and tell them anything about a situation that occurred, what do they meet you with? I already know what happened. Were you there? No, I wasn't there, but I already know what happened. And they know all the ins and outs and the news who's who's guilty and who's not. You gotta resist that because the world is trying to push you in the direction of wise and prudent. But Jesus wants you to stay innocent and receiving. Not wise and prudent, not wise and all knowing, innocent and receiving. Because if you can keep yourself in that category of being innocent and receiving, you'll receive the things of God. If you get in that category of being wise and prudent, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said it. I thank you that you don't reveal these things to them. I thank you that you have hidden these things from them. Understand this. If you get in the category of wise and prudent, God hides things from you. Isn't that amazing? He hides it. Don't let them see it. And God's a good hider. He knows how to hide. Now look at this. Verse 28. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. How many people here would say, Oh, I work hard. And it seems like everything that is on me is heavy. 
Feel like that? All right. So he says he's calling you guys. He's not saying, man, you bunch of dopes. <laughs> he's saying all you that labor, all you that work hard, all you that are heavy laden, come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. How many want some rest? Rest is good. I keep one of those little heart monitors on my wrist all the time. And it works for the program on my phone. And it analyzes my wrist. And it tells me how, how rested I am. Sometimes I don't believe it. Sometimes I wake up and I'm, I feel really refreshed. And it's saying, you didn't do very well. I said, I think I did better than you saying that I did. And sometimes it said I did fantastic. And I said, I feel like the same I did yesterday when you said I didn't do well. So I don't know how accurate those things are. But it is kind of interesting to see how much in the different types of sleep that you get. A little novelty thing. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If his yoke is easy and his burden is light, then when he makes the call for those who labor and are heavy laden, is he not calling for people who are not carrying his yoke? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you have a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light, how many of y'all know you're not laboring? I mean, you're not laboring. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. So this is what he wants to do. He wants to get you out of that place of being heavy laden and get into the place what you're carrying is what you're supposed to be carrying. And it's um, it's going to be good. It's going to be helpful. This is after all the other things that he had said. This is after all the stuff that came before. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works were done in you, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. This is when he's talking about the wise and the prudent. And the, and the babes. And then he goes on about the yoke. So here's the whole picture of this. The reason that we get worn down in our life is because we are carrying a yoke that we, we are not to be carrying. Because we have become wise and prudent and not babes. When you become wise and prudent, you will pick up a yoke you were not intended to carry and it will wear you out and God will hide things from you. But if you continue in the area of being a babe, being one who is young and innocent and receives what the master says without a fight, just receives those things, then your yoke can be made easy because you're hearing the things from God. Now, I know this is still not completely clear to you, but we're going to make it clear. We're going to get this to the, to the spot where you can see it. I put this in your outline. These are the only blanks that you got here today. If what we are carrying is wearing us down, does that speak to our work in ministry or mistake in ministry? If what we are carrying is wearing us down, does, this, does that speak to our work in ministry or our mistake in ministry? 
Folks, we've sometimes made some mistakes in ministry. Ministry for God. And we've done some things, carried some things we're not supposed to be carrying. So here's the problem at Capernaum. They enjoyed Jesus until assumptions were made. They enjoyed Jesus. Jesus came in. He healed our sick, cast out devils, taught us. Even, even some mass feedings going on. It was great. But then things happened in which they made assumptions. The first thing was the paralytic was healed because, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. They make the assumption, who is this man that he even forgives sins? What's that saying? I know better than him. There's no way around it. You are saying, I know better than him. I know that he can't do it, but yet he's doing it. And so Jesus says, I'll prove it to you, which is easier to say. And even though he did heal the man, they still didn't, they still didn't believe it. They still had that wall. And so the spirit of God that was present to heal all of them couldn't heal any because they put themselves in the category of the wise and prudent and no longer in the category of the babes. So they enjoyed Jesus until assumptions were made. But they went from babes to being wise and prudent. And what they received, they still thought was spiritual. Now, here's the thing. People in the church, we're talking people in the church. People in the church who become wise and prudent still think what they receive is from God. Remember the leaders of the Jews, as Jesus was coming to the time of his crucifixion, the leaders of the Jews planned on the Sabbath how to kill him. Because they became wise and prudent, all-knowing. They were no longer babes able to receive. And God hid those things from them. But they thought they were doing the Lord's work by killing somebody who was healing, teaching, and setting people free. Isn't that amazing? Now, we're going to go back to a very familiar scripture. I want you to see this pattern. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, God, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now already we know that was wrong. We've talked about it before. They were allowed to touch it. They just weren't allowed to eat it. They probably went on the side, don't, don't touch it either. Because if you touch it, that will lead to eating. God didn't say that. Then the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now look at what he does here. He takes the knowledge that they had. The knowledge that they received as babes from God. And God says, don't eat of that tree. And they received it. And they walked in that knowledge. They didn't question it. They just, God said it, this is what we're going to do. And then somebody else came along and presented uh, some facts and said, no, here's the facts. You will not die in the day that you eat it. But you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. So, what did they do? So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her and he ate. Now, we're not going over all the rest of it here. That's that's you saw what the devil did. He came on in and he presented some things as facts. You will not surely die. 
But in the day that you eat of it, you'll become like God, knowing both good and evil. So she takes that little bit of knowledge in and she begins to look around. She looks at the tree. She saw that the tree was good for me. This is good food. This is good food. Uh, it's pleasant to the eyes. It had a nice shine to it or it just it looked appealing. How many of y'all know there's some fruit out there that looks nice and there's some fruit that is just downright ugly? This is one of those fruits that looks nice. It looks appealing. Uh, I'm liking this. And so she factors all these things in and she makes a decision based on all this that she has. And it was the wrong decision, wasn't it? It wasn't very good. This is the same thing that happened in Capernaum. They saw all this stuff that went on But the devil comes in and says, is this man really of God? Can this man really forgive sins? And he begins to question, put these things in there, and they they begin to accept it. Before they just innocently accepted, this is the man who comes from God, and he heals people. Let's get healed. The entire city had been healed. Entire city, demons cast out. The city had changed. Changed for the good. So facts were presented. They are accepted without verification. Do you know how many times people accept facts without verification? It's amazing to me how many times people accept facts without verification. I mean, you ought to just treat it this way. If somebody is speaking something to you, assume that they lied. If you don't want to assume that they lied, assume that they are ignorant. And just go check it out. How many of you have seen somebody repost something on Facebook And you looked at it and said, I know that's not true. But that person didn't check it out. I remember years ago, I put up one. I saw this thing. It was a a quote about the Internet. I think it was about the Internet. Attributed to Albert Einstein. Well, he wasn't around when the Internet was around. So he really couldn't say too much about the Internet, could he? Uh Uh-uh. But people don't always put those put those things together. You see, if you're gonna if you're gonna quote something, you ought to go out there and check it out. And um, over the years that we've been here as a church, and we've had different things that have gone on, you know, shootings and stabbings and incidents in different cities and different places. And some of them we've even brought in here and discussed. And not all of them do I bring in here and discuss, but some of them I brought in and discussed and let you know about it because uh, the media. Some of them just got me so upset the way the media was was posing it. And I said, look, this is, this is what's going on. I mean, some things, the media actually changed the video. Some other instances, they changed the audio. Actually altered the audio to make it sound and, and say what they wanted it to say. And presented it as, as, uh, as not. And then people go on and they have an opinion about that. Don't, don't, don't have that. Be babes. Be babes. Remember that Jesus also, or not Jesus, but it was also taught in malice, be as babes. That's how we ought to go. So we had the facts presented in the, in the case with Michael Bennett. How many of you have interviewed Michael Bennett? Has anybody interviewed the woman who was uh, allegedly pushed? Has anybody interviewed any witnesses? You see, this is the way I look at it. If I haven't talked to the people that are involved, then I leave, leave the decision up to the people that are talking to the people that are involved. And I let them hash it out. And, uh, and and take care of it. But you see, we have gotten so accustomed to just taking, this is why it's dangerous. I'll get this in a minute. There's a, there's a reason for this. We've become so accustomed to just taking information and not verifying it 
and just receiving it and just accepting it, that this is the way that it is. A person like Michael Bennett can be crucified before anything's even happened. Another sports thing, how many remember the Duke lacrosse team? Anybody never not remember the Duke lacrosse team? An entire team of, of guys who wanted to go on and play professionally, whose careers were ruined because two gals got up and lied about them. And the story was never verified, and eventually they came out and said, we lied, we made the whole thing up. But it didn't change anything because the Duke school had canceled the lacrosse program, and those guys had no future in the, in the industry at all. Totally changed their lives, and they got, just got up and said, we lied. But nobody checked it out. Nobody had done such a thing. How crazy is that? How many have heard in the news that uh, the Trump campaign is now uh, guilty of some of the um, – and they're, they're crucifying them for it because they pulled all this data off of Facebook. Anybody hear about that? You haven't heard about that? You heard about that. Pulled all this data off Facebook, and uh, that helped them in the election to get all this data about people. And if, if you heard the news reports, he was evil and just diabolical for doing this. Anybody not hear that story? All right, good. You're not listening to the news media. I didn't listen to the news media to get that story. I heard it from somebody that I enjoy. <laughs> they were telling me about the story, and I was able to go out and find out about this. How many of you remember when President Obama was president that uh, when, that he had gone through and he used social media and he gathered all this information about people? In fact, how many know Maxine Waters? She had a quote, and she was talking about this, and she said that the Obama administration had put together a database so complex and so complete that no one has ever seen anything like this ever. And we have, and this is her words, we have everything on everybody. And you know what the news media said about that? This is wonderful. This is great. Now, how is it evil when one person does it and fantastic when someone else does now, if you want my opinion on using Facebook data in, in elections, I, I, I say this. If you put it out there, someone's going to use it. If you don't want it out there, don't put it out there. So if I put something out there on Facebook and somebody uses it for whatever advantage, well, that's I put it out there. I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other. I didn't care that Obama used it. I didn't care if Trump did use it. It doesn't bother me either way. I, there's other matters more pressing. I just use as that as a, just kind of a, an example. But, but then it goes on in churches, too. And this is where you've got to be careful. It goes on in the Word of God. It goes on in churches. We've spent the last couple of weeks talking about a principle that you will grow by what every joint supplies. So you know what the enemy wants to try and do? Separate you from other people. He wants to separate you from other people. And so you will have people who will develop opinions and pass them off as facts. And you will have people in the church never verify them. I mean, some will come up and say, did you hear that brother, sister, so-and-so embezzled the money out of the church? <gasps> they did. Never go and verify it. And just go on and begin to talk to other people about this pastor, about this person in the church who had done that. That's ridiculous. We ought, we ought not to do it. Now, I've been in ministry for over 30 years. And I don't mean ministry in that, you know, just doing something to church. I mean up on stage, doing stuff over 30 years. You know, I was in the church as an assistant pastor. We don't do it here. And there's a good reason for it because I, I didn't like it. 
But one of the things that they did on there was they had um, uh, two pews up on the stage. How many of you have ever been in a church and they had two pews up on the stage? Short pews. Everybody else had long pews. The people up on the stage, we had short pews. And so, you know, the pastor, the worship leader, the assistant pastor, I guess all the important people. We had to sit up. So when I became the assistant pastor of the church, guess what? I had to leave my nice, comfortable, long pew to go join up in the front in the short pew. I never liked it. I never wanted it because now you're worshiping God up on stage. There's nobody in front of you. It's just the church out there. And that took a little while for me to get used to used to that, that you're up there in the, in the front. I got used to it eventually, but I didn't like it. So you'll notice Rob, I don't sit up on stage. And even when we move to a new church building, we're not going to have a bunch of uh, pews up there in the church for the pastor and whoever else to sit on. I'm going to be right back in here and somewhere. <laughs> it's going to be perfectly fine with me. I didn't, didn't mind that. But you'd always have people who would make opinions and begin to state things. So I've been used to this for a long period of time. Initially, I used to react to them. People have an opinion about that. People had an opinion while I was single. People had an opinion why I sat next to a certain girl. I've told you that story before. It got to be so bad that I didn't sit next to anybody. I didn't sit next to a girl. I didn't sit next to a guy. I sat in the pew that no one sat in. We had a couple of pews no one would sit in. I sat in those. have a long pew. Nobody's on this side. Nobody's on that side. That's after I came down from the short pew. Had to be on the short pew for the first part of the service. And you come down to the long pew. I stayed in there. Nobody's sitting around me. And I would have a clock that would go off on the inside of me because I talked to this person for three minutes. All right, you need to start exiting. You need to start moving because if you talk to the same girl for five minutes, pretty soon they have you engaged. Because they had nothing better to do than to form opinions about your life. So I've been very, very used to this. And it has gone on. It goes on in this church too. It goes on in every single church I've been. People will form opinions about you. Now, if you get up on stage like you are in the worship team, like you are in other places, you know, people coming up and doing the offering. If you get up there on stage and people see you, they're going to have opinions about you. And most of the time they won't uh, verify them in fact because this is what we learn in the media. The media does not interview people anymore. They look up on Facebook. They look up on Twitter. And they get information and they publish that like that's the truth. But they never called anybody and they never asked anybody. They don't have to verify anything anymore. You don't need to have that. It doesn't need to, to go on. I heard, I don't address most of these things that I hear, folks. I don't address them. I'll tell you of a couple of them that just came up recently. And I, the people, if, if you're one of the persons who started this rumor, I don't have any animosity. I don't care. It just doesn't bother me. It just kind of rolls off the, rolls off my back anymore. But I had people that apparently formed an opinion that I didn't want to pastor anymore. And apparently passed that off to some people and said, well, Pastor Steve doesn't want to pastor anymore. I said, well, that's news to me. Man, really? So if you ever hear a rumor that Pastor Steve doesn't want to be pastor anymore, you can say, well, Pastor Steve said it wasn't true, because it's not. I love pastoring. I, I, I I love being here with you guys. And I'm not looking... If in case the rumors start up, I haven't heard this one yet, but in case the rumors start up that I'm looking for another church to go to, um, I haven't heard that one come up. I don't expect that one to come up. Don't believe them. I like you folks right here. You folks are kind of a second family to, to us, kind of actually some, almost the first family. You know, my, my mom and I, we get to see each other a bunch, but, you know, we got some of the siblings don't even talk to us anymore. 
there's not a whole lot of that going on. So you're kind of our family now. So that uh, that works out. Don't want to go and, and change any of that. I heard, uh, you know, just don't don't let people tell you that. I love pastoring church. I love getting ready for Sunday. I love getting ready for Wednesday. I love doing all that sort of stuff. If you're the one who started that rumor, don't worry. I don't think you'll love you. And I won't treat you any different. Any more than I all the other rumors that were going on before. I just laugh at them. It's not a big deal. I heard that somebody had an opinion. Uh, you all know that Brother Keith has been doing more things. And we're moving him into, into more things. And he's not over next door as much as over here a whole lot. And he's doing stuff. I had somebody who passed on to somebody else, who passed on to somebody else, that they think Brother Keith is just a glorified kerosene heater mover. Now, I'm thinking, when I heard that, I was thinking this. They don't listen to me very well. Because of the position I had before I was here, I described it fairly well for y'all. And if anyone had paid any attention, you would understand that Brother Keith is pretty much taking up the position I held in the church for five years. So if I thought my position there was useless, <laughs> but Brother Keith, is, he's, he's taken over a lot of things for me so that I am less mindful of them during the service. And, uh, and doing those things for me, and I appreciate every bit of it. And uh, anybody who wants to downplay what he is doing, you know, I, I, I get upset at that. I don't care what you say about me. But don't make opinions about other people and what they're doing. They're, um, that's, that's not necessary. You see, because people, they'll look at things that go on, and they will make a perception. I perceive that Pastor Steve doesn't want to be a pastor anymore. And then they pass it off as opinion. What have they become? Wise and prudent. And what does God do to them? Hides things. But yet they'll still walk out and say what God has shown them. Folks, <laughs> as soon as they get out of being wise and prudent, go back over to the babes, God will start showing things to them again. God doesn't hold grudges. I don't hold grudges. There's no sense in holding grudges. It just doesn't, just doesn't help you out. Not gonna, not gonna do you any good. But understand, understand this: if you get in that wise and prudent, that wise and all-knowing, that I know everything there is, it ain't gonna help you. It's, it's just not gonna help you. Don't get in that place. Always be able to receive. You see, I've learned that if I can keep myself in a place to receive from the people in the church that I can keep myself in a place to receive things from God. You know the one of the most exciting things that goes on in my life? And I tell guys this all the time. Constantly I'm telling God this. I said, Father God, one of the most exciting things I get to do is to study your word and to bring it out for the people on Sunday and the people on Wednesday. I absolutely love it. Because every time that I do, God reveals some stuff in there that I didn't see. Some stuff I didn't know. Every single time I do it, I learn stuff I didn't know before. And if it weren't for all you folks pulling on that, I wouldn't learn them. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys all the time. It's, it's been good. If anyone wants to approach you about an opinion they have of something that has gone on or something about someone else and you are not privy to it firsthand, don't give it much thought. This is something I've done with me for, for a long time. It's just, it's automatic. I don't even think about it anymore. If you come and tell me a story, and this would not ever happen. This is why I'm picking on this one. If Brother Les were to come up and tell me a story about Sister Into, 
I would, and I heard them, uh, I would either completely forget it by the time that we leave, or if it disturbed me enough, I go over to Sister Ento and say, Sister Ento, what's going on over here? I wouldn't tell him what, what he said. I just would ask her some questions and find out if I needed to know. And if Brother Les needed to be straightened out, I'd go over and straighten him out. <laughs> I can say that because he likes me. <laughs> That's why I can pick on him. He, he like, you don't do that with somebody you're not quite sure of. Not quite sure about Boyd. I obviously can't. No. <laughs> no, Boyd's fine. But you see, you, you just go in and you just straighten it out. Because if it doesn't, if it isn't anything I can fix, folks, it goes out of my head. I don't even remember it. I totally toss it out of my head. Because I don't need to. I don't need to. If you come and tell me something about somebody, if I'm in a position to fix it, I'll fix it. If I'm not, it goes out of my head. I don't think about it. Because down the road, that thing will be, become untrue. When Jesus came to the cross, when he was brought up to people, actually before that, when he came in on Palm Sunday, how many people received him? The entire city received him. The entire city was excited that he came. And what happened one week later? How do you go from a place of receiving Jesus with such enthusiasm to a place where you say crucify him? Because you accepted evidence without verifying. And you went from being, if you were a babe, you went from being a babe to being a wise and prudent. So one thing I know, folks, I don't know why people do what they do. I have no idea unless I ask them. And if I don't ask you, I don't need to know. But don't assume the wrong thing because this is what the enemy wants to do. Remember a few a number of weeks back we were talking about the work of the enemy? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to come and he's going to accuse. You're going to be working with people. You're going to be in church with people. And they're going to, they're going to do something. And you're going to wonder. And you're going to, hmm. And the, the enemy is going to come in and he's going to say, I know what Brother Les said about you. Oh. And you see, knowledge can come in. That's not good knowledge. But knowledge will come in. And you'll think it's God. But folks, it's not. When those people yelled, crucify him, crucify him, don't you know that they thought they were doing God's work? Don't you know they thought that this is what God wanted? Can you imagine they got so blind that they would think that God would want his own son crucified? That's how blind we can get when we get wise and prudent. When the news media comes out and they tell you something about a shooting, when the news media comes out and they tell you something about a Michael Bennett, when they come out and they tell you about this situation over here, this decision over here, instantly know they're probably trying to taint how it is that you think on this thing and change your opinion of those people and change what you receive. They're trying to move you from the category of being babe, young and innocent, and going to the place of being wise and prudent. Because the enemy knows if he can get you in that category of being wise and prudent, God will hide things from you. Isn't that amazing? God will hide things from you. Now, here's the thing about it. Those people that are wise and prudent think 
that God is revealing things to them. But God will hide things from them. Would you all stand up with me? Don't become one of those that are wise and prudent. Don't pass on those things that are presented to you as facts, but you haven't been able to verify them. Don't do it. Don't get in that category. Whenever you come up with somebody, whenever you meet, whenever you see them, you heard something about them, don't, don't take that in. There was a verse we were looking into last week, and I got more questions on that than anything else. Remember that verse we were talking about that said, His mercies are new every morning? How does, how does that happen? Do you know that you can get to be the same thing? That even though people have spoken ill of you, even though people have said wrong things about you, when you wake up in the morning, you can get to that place where your mercies toward them are new. You can get to that same place. Don't have time to get in all that this time. Maybe we'll do it. Do it again down the road. Bow your heads with me. Father, the enemy desires to push us to the place of being the wise and the prudent and to cause us to leave that place of being babes, just as he did with Adam and Eve. They were in a place of babes, young, innocent, whatever Jesus spoke, they just received. They walked with them daily. And they heard the things that Jesus said. And they were growing. But then the enemy came in and he changed them from being those babes to being that wise and prudent person. And they acted on their own and things in their life changed. They no longer lived in a great garden. They now had to work and toil. What they didn't realize was going on before, now they see. The evil they never knew, now they know. And the fellowship they shared, they lost. Father, I thank you that you desire to keep us in that place of being babes. Being young and innocent and just ready to receive what it is that you have to speak to us. So here this day, Father, we won't become wise and prudent. We won't look haughtily upon other people. We won't accept facts and evidence that we don't know are true. We will talk with people. We will believe the best in people. We will walk in love. Because if we keep ourselves in that place of being babes, we receive things from you. You open up our eyes to see. You speak to us and we thank you for it. We give you the glory and the praise for it. This Palm Sunday as we remember the excitement that people had when Jesus came into the city and how quickly that changed. We want to keep in mind that we can change just as quickly. That the enemy is out to change us as well. And if we have fallen over into the place of being the wise and the prudent, we can easily slip right back over and be babes again. Young and innocent. Father, we thank you. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. How many of you are staying here today? And you say, yeah, I can... 
see that I have fallen into that wise and prudent place a few times in my life, maybe even now. Raise your hand up. A few times I have fallen into that wise and prudent place. Yeah, we can get there. Oh, but you can get out. It is wonderful to walk as babes, as young and innocent, in malice and in what we hear from the Word of God and what we hear from our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Before we go, do we have any praise or any reports in the back that anybody had turned in? Ah, here we go. All right. Yesterday I, was, yesterday I was listening over over the internet to the song Sovereign Over Us. Unbeknown to me, I sent it to a friend who is caring for an invalid husband. She has been feeling overwhelmed recently. They were so blessed by the song. How great is our God. Eh, it's always good to be able to bless somebody like that. Good. All right. Uh, this morning we all know what's going on. We got our uh, egg hunt. I don't call it an Easter egg hunt. We just call it an egg hunt. And, uh, you know, the world receives egg hunts. And last year,